0: No matter how far you get along this journey, it is that vision you define in early days. Often that's something that's skipped uh, It's it's often seen as fluffy and we're lucky we kind of got forced to do it through accelerators.
1: Welcome to Startup West, the podcast about startups here in sunny Western Australia. We talk to startups, entrepreneurs and innovators who have been there and done it or are right here and doing it. My name is Danelle Cross.
2: And my name's Chris Tan. And before we start, we'd like to acknowledge that we are recording this podcast in the land of the Wadjuk people of the Noongar Nation and pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging.
1: The Startup West podcast is brought to you by Startup News, thanks to support from sponsors Spacecubed, Curtin University, RSM, the City of Perth and Techon. And on this episode, we talk with Nick Buckley and Nick Bapu from Veintech. All right Nick and Nick, can you please tell us about Vaintech? How's it going and what is it doing?
0: Great. Uh, Thanks, Danelle. So VanTech is a medical device company headquartered in Perth and also founded in Perth in 2020. So VanTech was formed by uh, Nick, uh, Catherine, who's our third co-founder, and myself. uh, And we're a diverse team of engineers, engineers, and Catherine's an emergency doctor and Nick is a medical researcher. So VeinTech is solving the problem of doctors and nurses missing veins, uh, often when you need to draw blood or to receive treatment in hospitals. So in a snapshot, we're helping doctors see those veins better uh, to target for cannulations
3: or for drawing blood.
1: Yeah, and such an important problem. So how often is that a problem, I guess? So what what how big is this problem?
3: Yeah, so it's a pretty big problem in that uh, it's the most invasive, most common invasive medical procedure performed on inpatients. So around the world, two billion with a B, cannulas are consumed every year. Um, Sort of somewhere between seventy and ninety percent of patients admitted to hospital will require a cannula placed at some point during their stay. So it's a very, very common procedure, and it's really important. It's often Mm. the gateway to uh, receiving diagnosis and also receiving treatment. Unfortunately. Unfortunately, from uh, the literature and also from a lot of the qualitative research that we've done internally, uh, it misses uh, a lot, mm. and that is not uh, not any knock on the nurses and doctors performing the procedure. They're obviously very skilled, but it's a, it's a tough procedure, and especially when you can't easily visualise those veins. Yeah. So um, the the from the literature, the standard miss rate is around forty percent, which wow. is really really high.
1: Wow! And so, how is VeinTech solving this massive problem?
3: Yeah, so effectively the job to be done that we've identified mm-hmm. is that – and the gap in that workflow is you need to be able to see what you're targeting mm-hmm. in order to hit it mm-hmm. effectively. Mm-hmm. Uh, sounds Makes simple, sense. but yeah, 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 Makes sense. Uh, and so that's kind of where we come in. Often because of overlying tissues or because the veins on the yeah. surface have been used up, it's hard to – you have to go for deeper veins, which are consequently harder and harder to see. Um, And it doesn't actually take that much overlying tissue to obscure a vein. So a lot of us have nice blue-green veins on top of our arms, but imagine laying – the the example I always use is lay a couple of mil of bacon um, over (laughs) over the top of your arm – and suddenly you can't see the veins see anymore. Mm. So where we come in is effectively showing clearly and simply where those veins are underneath the skin. And they might only be five millimetres, 10 millimetres below the skin. So you can
2: accurately hit that needle with a vein every time. So for um, someone who doesn't really understand a lot of medical stuff, I have a mate. Uh, I, I don't know whether this story is similar, but I have a mate. Um, he went to do a blood test and uh, they couldn't get it the first time. Um, he couldn't get it the second time. They didn't have a, a a butterfly needle, was it? And um, and and they try. I think you, they can only attempt three times, and then you can't try anymore that more that day. That's that's this. What we is that what we are sort of talking about? Similar in like in 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 that yeah. regard. Yeah, yeah. So I guess like it's a nice
0: problem that we have because uh, cannulations happen all over the place. So you know your blood collection centers, your mm. hospitals. Hospitals as well, you've got children's hospitals, uh, your your standard tertiary hospitals, everyone has a different set of rules. So in a children's hospital, for instance, uh, once you miss twice, you need to get help, or, mm. and that help might be calling a senior or using a device. Uh, so ultrasound machines can be typically used. They're not used very often, though, because they're often you know, being used to look at hearts or yeah. to look at other structures in the body. So um, often what happens, uh, and, and very like from the conversations we've had uh, very commonly, people will actually uh, do a lot more attempts. So they'll try two or three times, get help. The person that comes to help will maybe miss one or two times before they escalate to the ultimate um, people that can can really help. They're the trained doctors that can use ultrasound machines. Uh, They're typically Mm -hmm. uh, anesthetists that uh, live in surgical theatres who get pretty annoyed when they get called down, so they have to wheel their machine down to the patient uh, to do the, the procedure. Um, so the gap we've identified is the help that you can get is is quite hard to access at the moment, yeah. and the ethos Veintech comes in with is how do we democratize access to technology mm. that can make
2: that difference? Excellent, excellent. And so I guess um, we've talked about like um the 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 starting idea and 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 such so far, but from I guess when yourselves and your other founder uh, started with Vaintech, um, has there been much of a change or a pivot since? the initial conception of uh, Vayne Tech. Interestingly, uh, in some ways it's been refined,
3: but in a lot of ways, and this is kind of unusual for companies that come through a program like uh, Perth Biodesign, which is how we all met each other, often you will learn the methodology of validating a problem and taking that forward, but that the, the the problem you do, it's a bit like doing a uni assignment, like it doesn't then tend to turn into your whole career. For us, really the one that we did... It
2: did. Uh, yeah, I mean, but,
3: <laughs> but it does happen. Uh, so the problem that we... Discovered and sort of uh, boiled, refined down to was. effectively this problem and uh, Biodesign uh, really encourages you to come up with a specific need statement. So our need statement was the ability to find veins uh, to place cannulas in obese people. That was particularly the segment that we identified Mm -hmm. since we've uh, done a lot more research and obviously this problem is much broader than in um, people who are obese. But uh, effectively, we are still, what, four years later, trooping along with the unmet need that we have um, identified in Perth Biodesign and it has still borne up under all the various validations and, uh, and stresses and tests that we've put on it.
1: That's fabulous to hear. So you're four years in. Where where are you at in that commercialisation process?
0: Yeah. So I guess uh, VainTech uh, raised its fu- first uh, fundraising round last year. So we closed a seed round successfully, and but was leveraged. And we're very grateful to the Western Australian government for supporting us in that round. We also got an AC round uh, from the federal government to support our commercialization activities. All this uh, funding is now helping us get to our first clinical trials. So last year we were at a stage of proof of concept. So we'd proven that the technology that we were working on uh, worked on a bench. Now we're reducing that to practice so that we can start clinical trials in local hospitals here in Western Australia. So we're, we're very keen for Western Australia uh, Australian patients to be the first to benefit from this. So we've partnered with uh, three of the tertiary hospitals, so Fiona Stanley Hospital, Royal Perth and Charlie's, and uh, uh, basically planning to do trials at a later stage this year. Um, we mentioned before we're, we're doing a bit of work uh, as well with our market access, so uh, uh preparing for our regulatory submissions, uh, doing things with manufacturing and also building a team that can support that sales and marketing infrastructure when we're approved to sell on market. So it's a very exciting time. We've uh, grown the team from three founders to 10 people uh, that uh, work for us. Uh, And uh, yeah, have a number of uh, excellent advisors uh, that help us along the way as well. Uh,
2: That's awesome. That's really good to hear. So, you know, um, it's so, I guess, nice to hear about all the successes that you guys have had to date what are some of the challenges that you might have um had during that journey so far yeah uh part of i mean
3: there's there's the unsurprising one which is uh around fundraising and yeah. resourcing okay. uh obviously that's common to everyone but uh, especially <laughs> right at the moment um it is a bit of a bit of a difficult season so um mm. we uh are okay now. We've got um, we've got considerable runway, but um, obviously there's um, implicit in runway is there's an end to that. So gearing up for the next fundraising round, strategising around that, obviously is um, something that we're we're equal to, but is something that we've got to. Um, Start grappling with uh, another one is Nick's kind of touched on that path to market piece, and uh, we we were sort of talking about market segmentation before. We are in a it's it's a nice problem to have, but it does remain a problem in that cannulation and the um, venipuncture, which is drawing blood, happens everywhere. So vascular access is the more is, is the broader term, mm. and so there we could rattle off a dozen different market segments in which we could play a role. Right. But just because there's a dozen market segments doesn't mean that we enter all of them at once or they're all equally as viable as each other. So mm. part of the work that we're doing, and we're, we've, um, we're pretty advanced in this, but part of the work that we're doing now and also um, for the, over the next sort of six months is really boiling down to where are we most welcome, where can we do the best job and have the greatest clinical impact in ways that make the clinicians' lives easier than most. So, and really identifying uh, bigger later stage opportunities that might, the sales cycles might be longer or they might need more evidence. Um, and also at the same time, those beachhead markets, which might be smaller and might be a little bit narrower in terms of segment, but we can start getting some early wins on the board and building earlier data.
1: Thank you. That was fascinating to hear. And I love that. And I've been sort of watching um you know, progress from a little bit afar. And I think the way that you're approaching that sort of go-to-market strategy early and very strategically is is really, really impressive. I'd like to just ask a bit of, about the team that you're building and, and and the broader team of your advisors as well, because I know that they've played a really important part in the growth of VainTech so far.
0: Yeah, definitely. So, uh, I guess we talked about uh, the benefit we've had about having engineering, medical, and research backgrounds in Mm -hmm. the team from the get-go and really seeing the bigger picture. And and often we define being an entrepreneur as that ability to to see the bigger picture. So uh, I guess as we've grown, uh, some of those areas have required, uh, I guess, more depth rather than breadth. So uh, and some areas have also required, uh, you know, broadening our, our, our skills. Um so we've brought in a number of advisors uh to cover the I guess in, in two major buckets of so a scientific uh, the, the product bucket and the second bucket's more commercialization. Mm. So uh from the scientific bucket uh so I completed my PhD at the Harry Perkins and my PhD supervisor who's a medtech entrepreneur himself mm. uh is one of uh, the advisors we brought on uh to help us address some of the more technical aspects to get uh, technology from being technology to being a product that works on people. Uh, the commercial side of things as well, uh, we've got a range of uh, different skill sets, so people that are industry veterans selling products. Uh, we've got people that are in, uh, have been investors, venture capitalists, uh, and also accountants and financial people that has been a skill set that none of us have had from early on. So we're very conscious of our own uh, limitations and we we love to welcome people that can help
3: us bridge those gaps in the, the team. So uh, that's definitely grown over the years. We'll also just add from, and this is my my own perspective, but uh, I, you, you see a lot of uh, other people just starting out who potentially don't necessarily have uh, things like a technical founder. Mm, uh, yeah. And I've, we, we've all be, always been incredibly lucky that we've got Nick, Apu, um, as our (laughs) technical founder uh, because that's been really vital from from the off. Um, We're also really incredibly lucky to have had Catherine in the mix from the word go because we've literally had that voice of customer at the literal table from day one in all the management meetings and that's really steered us true a lot of the time. And also just within the the founder team uh, more broadly is we've got both this diversity of background and perspective, but unity of vision, we like to think. So But uh, that, uh, that's been really, really valuable in terms of appreciating the various challenges and mm, ways we yeah. can look at things, but also working towards a common goal.
2: Absolutely. I think that's um, great to have, um, I guess, the, the different perspectives to make sure that um, what you are trying to achieve, what the team is trying to achieve is um, – I guess, well-rounded or at least uh, a lot of different aspects are being, you know, considered or, or thought about in different ways. Um, let's briefly touch back on, like you are saying earlier, one of the challenges is like raising money and funding. Um, yes, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> how has that, um, how was that journey for you to raise money? And, um, you know, um, what you know now in terms of that, like tips that you've learned along the way?
0: Definitely, yeah. So I often, I often look back at our previous fundraising rounds as uh, it's kind of looking back at a uni assignment and, <laughs> and going like, what have I done? Like, <laughs> um, and uh, I guess like, you know, in terms of maturity, maturity is a big, is a big thing you, you reflect back on. And we were definitely at a stage where we've grown tremendously from since our last funding round. But um, what, what these reflections kind of make you realize is that it really comes down to two things in the early days. The first is the team. So is the team aligned in the vision, the job to be done? Uh, is the team capable of being warriors almost like, you know, we're talking about um, live to die another day is, uh, is the life of an entrepreneur because uh, it's all about, you know, keeping going towards your vision because uh, challenges are undoubtedly going to happen. Um, and also a team that can uh, get help and be coached along the way because mm. more than often teams haven't had this experience before. Like we've... This is our first time doing this whole thing, so uh, coachability, I guess, in the team is uh, crucial uh, for fundraising. I guess the second part, and I can I can pass that on to Nick, is uh, is really about the, the need you're solving. It's about the problem because. That's why you get funding in the first place to, to solve the problem. Um, and uh, we went to a recent presentation where uh, someone said that your first idea of what your, your solution or your MVP is, is most likely wrong. Uh, and it's it's with that resourcing that you can refine mm. what that is. Uh, so often investors in the early days will look at the, the team, uh, are capable and uh, aligned and the problem, is it the right problem that they're solving? It's not the focus, I think, is often put on the, the tech and the solution, but we, we value the Perth Biodesign program for that reason because uh, the
3: principles are all around problem identification. Mm. Yeah, that's all 100% right. I'd also add uh, that we, we learned over time a, a few things just about the nature of, of, of funding and how we express uh, why we need. Funding mm. in a lot of ways, because obviously everyone knows that they need funding. But one is the language of investors and investment. Uh, we we sort of transitioned our message over time. It was mm. it was the same points we were putting across, but inflected through almost the prism of risk, mm. which is what investors look at. Is yeah. depressingly how can your thing go wrong? What are the biggest things that uh, could mm. Mm. be What's an risk? issue? Exactly. Yeah. And as Nick alluded to, one of the biggest risks that is looked for in the early days is the problem that you're solving is not actually a problem it's not uh, or it might be a problem that no one's willing to pay to have solved mm-hmm. so often that's the the big flashing red light mm. that investors will look for in the early days. Uh, but uh, And then there's a variety of risks in regular, reg- regulatory product markets. So, if you can phrase, we are going to take this funding and we're going to take risk out of all these various components of mm. our path ahead and therefore more likely assure ourselves success, that is really speaking the language that uh, investors use. But also, using... Keeping in mind that funding is not an ends in itself, so you you wouldn't go out and say, "I need ten million dollars, please," because uh, investors will go, "We all need ten million dollars." What what are, what are you what are you going to do with that ten million dollars? Mm-hmm. What activities are you going to fund with that, and what outcomes is that going to have? What inflections are you going to create? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, really clearly stating that is incredibly important
1: it's critical yeah thank you um so vein tech in the next three to five years you're obviously on a trajectory at the moment we spoke off 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 air about um your regulatory um meeting tonight um what what's what's the next phase obviously moving to clinical trials and beyond
0: yeah, I can take that one. So uh, obviously the challenge with medical devices is you can't just roll out an MVP into market to start uh, generating the traction. You need to go through those regulatory checkpoints, I suppose. So for us, uh, our two target markets are Australia and the US. So in Australia, we need to get through the TGA and in the, the US, it's the FDA. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess like our strategy currently is to make sure that what we present to those regulatory bodies uh, is correct. So it's it's a the minimally viable data pack, I guess we can say, that we'll <laughs> is put there forward. such a thing? I don't know. <laughs> maybe a new term I've coined. Um, I guess uh, making sure that's all correct because that's where a lot of our resourcing is uh, going into. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, uh, maturing the company to a stage where we can support local manufacturing here, mm-hmm. but have the right partners in the US to help us get the product out. So uh, part of the new highs uh, mentioned before the team's grown a bit uh, in the recent years. Uh, It's really been focused on bringing those skill sets, people that have that expertise in manufacturing medical devices, doing so under quality management systems and to meet the regulations, uh, and also uh, people that can help us develop the business so that ultimately we can get to a stage where we can partner with the bigger players in the market so that this product can improve lives as widely as we can all around the world. So one of our goals is to be in five continents in the next uh, five years. So um, I guess, yeah, that's uh, that's definitely uh, a strategy to get there is to find those partners that can help us make that happen.
1: Mm, and it feels like you're you're definitely on on that path. I love it. Um, you've spoken about Perth Biodesign being a really important part in the early stages of Veintech. And obviously Veintech's operating in a, you know, a really um, thriving entrepreneurial ecosystem here in Perth at the moment. Can you just describe a little bit from your um, point of view what the startup scene is like here in WA at the moment?
3: It's a really interesting question because even in the the short time we've been in the scene, kind of that three to three to four year mm. span, it has broadened and deepened and just developed uh, more broadly, fantastically, and we're really. Uh, we always talk about it being like being at school there's people ahead of us um and then there's our year and then it's really exciting to be see people coming up um behind us as well the young are, kids young kids <laughs> yeah, yeah the, the pre-primaries <laughs> now, um but really that's sort of that pipeline and that legacy and that's that's exactly what you need okay. to not be a flash in a pan you need that sort of almost generations of, of mm. people coming through and it's been uh, really, really helpful in that. Uh, there was one of our mentors in the early days, that has a lot of experience internationally, but then, as a lot of people do, end up back in Perth, mm-hmm. and we're saying that the distance between people in Perth is very short, especially, and and that includes quite senior people. So it's it's one thing that we can really take advantage of here in Perth is that you don't have to have a meeting to have a meeting to have a meeting to have a meeting that you actually want. Yeah. You can yeah. oftentimes... Call someone up or ask for an introduction, and they'll be more than happy to chat to you. So, as Perth uh, deepens and matures, and, as, and and we'll be there for the ride. It, I, I really want, as, as in as far as we can influence that, to make sure that stays, because mm-hmm. it would be a real, really sad thing to to lose um, for those distances between people to 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 get longer. We also have started off very Perth based and we're incredibly proud of being sort of Perth born and bred and uh, intend to stay headquarters in Perth, uh, headquartered in Perth for the duration. But we also uh, are realize that uh, we can't sort of uh, be born, live and die in, in Perth as, as a market. We've got to go uh, <laughs> yeah. go overseas. And, and that involves partnering uh, with people interstate, internationally, where obviously Perth is part of broader ecosystems in and of themselves. So that's been part of the last six months is partnering more broadly while being based in Perth.
2: So was So encouraging to yeah just hear about that. Like there's it sounds like there's just so much happening for you guys right now. Here in Perth or... Around um, what you guys have been working with. So, any companies, people um, that have um, impressed you or um, that you've seen around that, um, yeah, you wanna talk about or shout out to?
0: Yeah, I can start. So, um, I guess for, for me, there are two people, uh, really that have inspired me in this journey, uh, in Perth. Um, so the first one's my PhD supervisor, Barry Doyle, who's a director at, uh, Navier Medical, another med tech company. Uh, and, and what Barry taught me wasn't necessarily the technical skills. Uh, it was an ability to lead a team towards the right vision. So when we were at the Harry Perkins, uh, our, I guess our, our team were looking at vascular disease and how we could use, uh, tools to, to address that. Uh, and uh, you know, I guess uh, often that can be a challenge, a challenging thing to do uh, when you're dealing with very complex technical matter. But Barry really taught me about that, that ability to uh, create a team that is aligned uh, with the vision uh, that you're, you're seeking. Um, and I guess uh, similar to the second person I'll shout, which is uh, one of Nick and I's uh, mentors, Caff uh, Giles, CEO of Oncares Medical. But the, the ability to execute and deliver on your vision. Uh, in a way that puts the people first, uh, you know, doing, leading people with empathy rather than being, uh, you know, the sharks that you typically see in the, you know, uh, in different countries and and the the typical view of what entrepreneurs are. You got to be doing and like being brutal with things you do. So um, yeah, uh, there there are the two
3: people I I particularly shout out. For allowed two, I'll I'll take two as well. <laughs> uh, the first one is Kate Lukowski. From NeurotoLogics, uh, really showing and touching back on that Perth side of things is uh, Kate. Really has has proved the model in some ways in that it can be done, and you can get all the way to having a a final product developed and have it here in Perth. So um, that's someone we 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 definitely look to. And the other one, uh, not not being cute about it, but it's it's very true, is my dad. Um, So my my dad Michael Buckley is um, the CEO of Lawley Pharmaceuticals, and really for the longest time, uh, looking back, I really didn't understand what dad did. Uh, and dad, and it's only since I've done a bit more of these business uh, and startup activities and, and got a bit of that context myself that I realized just how wild what dad's pulled off
1: is. <laughs> in that, My dad is cool. My dad is
3: uh, very cool. Uh, my dad's incredibly gritty as well uh, in that he did a biotech startup in Perth, which would be wild today, but he did it way back mm. in the 90s when there were no consultants, there were no accelerators, there were no funding bodies, and here he is uh, knocking on 20 years later with a very successful international company. So really just a, a very close to where He's literally our next-door neighbour to our offices, so he's uh, sort of a constant reminder of uh, where, where it can all get to, but just a, a real reminder uh, that it is can be done and uh, that all you've got to do is keep. Uh, you could be very clever, obviously, but you've got to keep just sledging away and being gritty and sticking at it.
1: And a shout out to the Startup West podcast sponsors. The Startup West podcast is produced by Startup News and is made possible by the support from Space Cubed, Curtin University, RSM, the City of Perth and Techon. All right, if we haven't guessed, we've got Nick B and Nick be here now and as we move into the so the more personal side of the story on the podcast we're going to differentiate by Nicholas and Nicholas now which is still a little bit of a mouthful for for us um but it sounds like you're both getting told off but we promise you're not so we're going <laughs> to kick off with Nicholas so Nicholas can you take um us back through your career so were you born in Perth
0: So I was actually born in the beautiful island of Mauritius, uh, Ah, which is, uh, yeah, about seven hours flight from Perth, uh, direct flight. Uh, I should go check it out if you can. Uh, And I think, I guess, as of next year, I'll have spent half my time, uh, half my life in Mauritius and half my life in Perth. So, uh,
3: yeah,
1: it's a pretty exciting being here. And how about you, Nicholas?
3: I'm a Perth boy, born and bred.
1: Born and bred, so, Nicolesh, you spent half your life, so about you know the age of what, 12, 14, uh, 14 or 14, so, yeah. that you moved here to Perth and why Why was that move to Perth?
0: Yeah, so I guess uh, my story back in Mauritius, uh, if you've uh, heard about Mauritius, it's a beautiful island, uh, there's a lot of uh, tourism, but uh, I guess as a resident of the, the country and the access to different resources that the country provides was... A, A big reason why we moved here. So my parents identified quite early on that if we were to remain in Mauritius, that uh, my sister and I wouldn't have the same opportunities as we would if we were in a country like Australia, Uh, and that was uh, from an educational point of view, a health point of view, uh, and and many other things. Um, So we made the move here back in 2011 uh, to really focus on that educational piece. But for me personally, I I was quite taken aback with the health side of things and the educational side of things as well, but uh, the health aspect uh, for me was a, a big uh, part of why I'm in this career now in medical mm-hmm. technology and, and really developing technologies that can democratize uh, how we look at patients and improve outcomes, um, and that's both a combination of... Uh, you know, people in my family that uh, suffered as a uh, result of not uh, having access to technology Mm -hmm. or the education to really combat disease from a, um, you know, preventable disease point of view. So, uh, yeah, I guess I can talk more about that in a bit. But uh, for me, that uh, my background growing up in a country that's
2: not as developed as uh, Australia really shaped my uh, career. Definitely a very beautiful country. Uh, Been there once. So lucky enough to do that um lads what were your favorite subjects at school um during your schooling like did either of you show any sort of leadership or entrepreneurial potentials um and you know did you have any ideas what you want to do post-school uh nicholas i'll throw it to you first Sure. The uh, The short answer is no. I showed no glimmer of
3: entrepreneurial spirit <laughs> in high school, but I did really love human bio. Uh, yeah, okay. uh, really, really loved human biology. I also really loved the library. I was on first-name terms with all the librarians. Right. Extremely cool <laughs> and read a very great deal. I remember I got an honor card at one point for reading. I think it was 200 books in a term. Oh. Um, so it was –
1: How old were you?
3: Oh, that would they weren't long books. That was that was junior school, but uh, it does give you a flavor of – uh, how we were. Love it. Love it yeah, yeah, of, uh, of little Nicholas sitting uh, <laughs> sitting on a milk crate reading books. Um, and that really is what informed uh, how I went into university because uh, like a lot of people, I really didn't have a clear idea of I want to be a this for the next 50 or 60 years, but I knew that I wanted to do something health-related. Uh, could have helped, helped that dad's a pharmacist, but uh, really I it's more because I just really like human biology. Uh, but flipping through uni prospectuses, a lot of them seem very lab-based and I didn't really want to live my life under a fluoro light. Um, no, no shame. Shame on any of the lab people listening that you do very important jobs. Um, but I also really liked the idea of uh, having a defined job role because I kind of thought, oh, okay, okay, like I've got to kind of take my degree and try and fit it to something. So I ended up uh, arriving on physiotherapy. So I ended up um, doing physiotherapy at Curtin University. Awesome. And Nikolas. Yeah, so
0: uh, I guess uh, similar to uh, Nicholas, I had an interest in the, the human body and how we could uh, you know, study the, the human body, but I was also a bit of a the maths and physics nerd. So uh, when I started uni, I couldn't make up my mind and there was no such thing as biomedical engineering back in 2013. <laughs> so I chose mechanical engineering, just being in Perth, uh, being a mechanical engineer can help uh, if all goes wrong. Um <laughs> And uh, also did pathology uh, as, a, as a second major. So that was my, my way to, to learn uh, the two topics of interest. And actually, uh, it came to my third year of uni, uh, where as, a, as you do as a uni student, you go to every sausage sizzle uh, there is to get a free feed. <laughs> um, I went to one of those uh, that was run by the School of Engineering at UWI. And I uh, got to meet uh, this lovely Irish man, uh, Barry Doyle, um, that is, ended up becoming my uh, lifelong mentor and friend uh, and PhD supervisor. He was also having a sausage just like me. And he showed me, he showed me how I could use the, the learnings from mechanical engineering. So what the uni was teaching mechanical engineers to go into oil and gas industries, um, there was a tool called computational fluid dynamics, so looking at how fluid flows in pipes. And he basically showed me, and, and I guess that, that was my start of entrepreneurship. But you see, seeing the bigger picture, and you're able to combine uh, things you wouldn't normally connect, um, you know, usually. So he basically introduced me to this world of computational fluid dynamics. But instead of looking at oil flowing through pipes, uh, you know, up in the Pilbara it was looking at blood flowing through the cardiovascular system. So for me, that was the start of being a biomedical engineer and uh, really understanding how I can make an impact uh, in this medical world.
1: Both amazing stories. So computational fluid dynamics over a sausage sizzle at UW. I love it. I think there's a message in there for all of us. To go to every sausage sizzle. And and truthfully, you know, um, every conversation with someone, you just never know where that might lead to. So we've got a mech engineer from UWA and a physiotherapist from Curtin. How do the two of you meet?
3: The other one in there is an emergency uh, physician from South Africa, which is Catherine. Uh, so it's a it's pretty pretty healthy mix. Uh, we met through Perth BioDesign, and it's actually a it's quite an interesting story. In that Catherine missed the deadline for applying to BioDesign because she didn't she only saw it after admissions had closed. So she emailed, and they needed more doctors. So they said, "Yep, you can put in a late admission." <laughs> I saw it a couple of days before I was due to go on a Europe trip and banged together an application, chucked it in and hoped. And then I ended up doing the interview for it in my one nice shirt in the Airbnb in Amsterdam. And then (laughs) Nick, you were a little bit more planned, weren't you? Yeah. So some of my mentors sort of uh, uh, recommended I apply based on my interests. So, um... But then in terms of actually meeting each other, and this is just one of the happy accidents of uh, Veintech, one of the things that Perth Biodesign tries to do is uh, put diverse teams together. So not putting a team of uh, a bunch of healthcare professionals mm. together. They try and get okay. a mix of engineering and like researchers and business people and that sort of thing together. And so we were literally randomly assigned into the group where the
2: three of us ended up meeting. So it was literal randomness. It was meant to be. Yeah, absolutely. Um, guys, uh, what was your first job and like what happened career-wise up till you uh, founded Uh, uh Nikolesh? I guess if we were to go to my first, first ever job,
0: uh, it was packing books uh, in a warehouse at Campion. Um, so was, like, that, was, that was my first job out of school uh, and I did a fair bit of tutoring uh, both uh, for high school students and university students while I was studying. But my first professional job and, I guess, internships to begin with were was actually uh, something I had to go overseas to, to get an opportunity for. So back in 2016, 2017, mm-hmm. the medtech sector wasn't really existent in Perth. Uh, so I approached a company in Belgium that uh, did medical 3D printing, so basically printing yeah. uh, things in three dimensions to help surgeons uh, plan for their surgery. So visually, instead of looking at scans in two dimensions, they would print these things that the surgeons could hold and play with to plan for their surgery. So um, I had the choice to go to Belgium or Malaysia, which was a bit closer to Perth. I uh, went to Malaysia for a couple of uh, months uh, and, uh, yeah, came back for Christmas and stuff like that. Uh, but that kind of introduced me to the corporate world but mm. uh, in medtech. It wasn't something I necessarily love, taught me a lot, uh, but uh, the vision of the company wasn't uh, very well aligned with the people in the company. Uh, So that's what drove me more towards an interest uh, towards startups where smaller teams, uh, you know, know, closer alignment with vision between the people and the team
3: uh, was possible. For the record, my first job was I was a checkout chick at Target. Um, (laughs) So... Which department, Nicholas? Uh, I was. It was the one in the city. Oh, I God. believe it's Kmart now. But uh, my <laughs> first job was at. It was the centre for cerebral palsy. It's now the ability centre. Um, and but jumping back a little bit, that my last two years of uni, I did my own honours project, and I was lucky enough to have a fantastic supervisor, um, Will Gibson, and I loved research so much that I almost, I I tried to do a PhD off the back of um, my undergrad degree, but uh, Will gave me some incredibly good advice, which is go out, work clinically for a bit Mm -hmm. and then you, if if you really want to do it you'll come back to it and you'll be a much better researcher which was 100% true so i went out and worked uh, as a physio most in in a, in a smattering of different areas but mostly in the area of pediatric disability so i worked for a few providers here in perth including ability center i also did a stint over in uh, the uk uh, which was quite a different system and 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 really really interesting uh, arrived back from the uk and um, decided that i did want to end up doing that PhD. So I am still doing that PhD at uh, Curtin University and at Telethon Kids Institute. Uh, And that's how I ended up getting to Perth Biodesign because a big theme of current research is translation Mm -hmm. and uh, really getting that research out and making a difference in the real world. So that's um, how I got interested in Perth Biodesign.
1: Awesome. Terrific stories. So we've got um, Nicholas, Nicholas and Dr. Catherine Aronson all together now, four years in Veintech. What do you as a group, as the co-founding group of Veintech, wish you'd known at the start of your journey? Tough one, I know. Um,
0: I think there's a there's a number of things we could probably boil it down to. Um, I think one of the big ones uh, that stands to mind for me is uh, – no matter how far you get along this journey, uh, it is that vision you define in early days. Often that's something that's skipped. Uh, it's it's often seen as fluffy. And we're lucky we kind of got forced to do it through accelerators and things like that. But um, you know, defining that from very early on um, was, was something I'd, I'd recommend to other entrepreneurs. But uh, also, I suppose it depends on the problem you're solving or the, the industry you're in. Understanding the key data that's required in early days, uh, like that understanding of that has definitely changed over the years. What we thought was right early on has has definitely refined and mm-hmm. evolved. So, and and you couldn't have learned it without trying it uh, yourself for the first you know the first time. So uh, that includes things like. Uh, you know how do you understand the market, how you research the market in medical technology. You talk about things like health economics. Um, so, those sort of stuff uh, again comes with experience.
2: But um, knowing that from early on would uh, yeah definitely make a difference. Um, yeah, so that was really great to sort of uh, understand and listen um, as part of the advice that you're giving. But if you were to um, give any advice to uh, any other founders out here that are listening, uh, what's maybe one piece of advice? From both of you, Nicholas. Yeah, so I guess um, often starting as a founder, and, you know,
0: just getting involved in startups uh, is is a concept that's romanticised uh, uh, a lot of the time. You know, it's it's really cool, like you know, you're doing something cutting edge, and that's that's all great. You need you need that story, but um, it is important to acknowledge that it is a it's a tough journey, uh, and it is something that. You know, you need to have the mentors, you need to have the support networks, uh, and you need to have the ability to continuously level up uh, over that journey to to keep going at it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, like one one big thing is uh, you know acknowledging that having an idea, and as Nick talked about before, getting the idea to where it needs to be it doesn't happen overnight and it doesn't happen easily. Um, so you've got to be really, really passionate about what you're doing. You've got to have the right people around you. Um, and I guess you've got to be true of yourself uh, in order to lead the people that work with you. Uh, it's it's all about
3: having that empathy for yourself uh, to begin with. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I would also say, also managing yourself as a resource. Uh, so again, one of the one of the sort of myths is if you Put your whole life on hold and sleep on your mum's couch and eat two minute noodles and just work really hard. Uh, that's how you're going to make it, and that's f- at least in our experience, not definitely not the case. Um, the early days of Veintech, were we were both doing uh, PhDs full time. Catherine was working, um, and it was it started as a side project, and that is a to- and then it grew and grew and continued to, to build, and then here we are with full time jobs a few years down the line, and that's. Entirely plausible. It's entirely feasible. So don't feel like you have to put your whole life on hold mm. just to do this. It can work up organically over time. And also in the uh, managing yourself as a resource. By what I uh, what I mean by that is. Uh, mm. We're all just people. We get tired. We get frustrated. We get, we, we have setbacks. We get discouraged. And that's okay. You don't have to be invincible to that. You don't have to be impervious to that. But really rely on your team and be honest about that. We within the team can say, I'm really tired, I need to have half, and you don't necessarily need three months off, but you're like, I'm just, I'm going to have half a day off, I'm going to sleep in, I'm going to go to the beach, I just need a little bit of a break, and then you can come back sort of having sharpened the axe and and go harder. So really being honest with yourself that just grinding away for week after week after week is, is especially when you're doing something really emotionally taxing like fundraising, I don't think that gets talked mm. about enough. Mm. Uh, like just sort of putting your baby out there to get criticised 40 or 50 or 60 times is really, really tough. Um, So just allow yourself that grace and space to kind of recover and come back stronger the next time.
1: Yeah, both. Terrific advice from both of you for for really entrepreneurs, young and experienced as well. So, all right, we're going to move into the rapid fire round now. Are you both ready? First thing that comes to your mind and we'll get an answer from, from each of you. What is the single most important factor that makes a successful startup?
0: First thing that comes to mind uh, is grit uh, for me. So that ability to keep going at it uh, and, again, by acknowledging uh, how you manage yourself uh, but also by acknowledging the problem you're solving, whether that's on the right track, that conditional statement Nick talked about. Um, so following those, uh, those steps, I suppose, but uh, keeping, keeping moving uh, is,
2: is
3: one of the big things. I would say the balance between vision and execution. Probably more heavily weighted on execution. That's the one that tends to get lost.
2: If you both were to wave your magic wand over the local startup scene, what would you wish into being? Uh, first thing that comes to
0: mind is often in America, they talk about West Coast, Best Coast. Uh, I think we've definitely got that going here. Uh, and it's an ecosystem that's not uh, focused on any specific industry, but an ecosystem that can be self-sustaining. So having the funders, having the developers, having the manufacturers, the policy coming from government, from uh, different organizations that you know, are industry-specific, and having the entrepreneurs like central to all of that, uh, is, is of absolute necessity. Um, so I think we can, if, if the West coast of America can do that, uh, so can we, uh, and I think, uh, like we're, we're on track uh, for a lot of that. Like there's been a lot of work from the policy end. you know, government's been incredibly supportive of innovation and specifically medical innovation and medical manufacturing in Western Australia. So, um, that would be the ecosystem approach rather than, you know, uh, just a just startup scene
3: uh, would be my my mm. point of view. I'll give the boring answer and it's funding. Mm. Uh, there are some green shoots coming through. Mm-hmm. There's some yeah. really exciting developments, but uh, definitely there's a, there's a ways to go there in terms of getting all the good ideas with legs that can be executed, funded and resourced and all the way to market. So just continuing that trend, I suppose.
1: Yeah. yeah. Uh, how can anyone listening help you?
3: I guess building on what uh,
0: Nicholas has just said, uh, funding is the constant battle uh, for any startup. Uh, but uh, I think um, I think for us specifically, uh, getting further down the track, getting closer to market, and overcoming those final challenges uh, in this current market is going to be a challenge. So we know we know our roadmap uh, to get to the end goal of being on market and doing trials, etc. But uh, that last step is often the most costly step. So uh, funding-wise, we are preparing, as we mentioned before, for our next funding round next year. Uh, so we'd love for people that can support us both in the funding but the, the coaching and the advice as well to reach out. Um, and I guess uh, in addition to funding, we are, the team is growing and we're looking to fill in gaps. So um, if at any stage you feel like you can contribute to Vantech's vision, uh, feel free to get in touch as well. As I
3: mentioned before, we are... Building, we, we are relentlessly Perth-based but uh, nationally and internationally focused and so that's where we're looking to build greater networks. We have got a, we feel like we're pretty well networked in Perth and in the West uh, but definitely looking to further build networks clinically um, with consultants, all that kind of thing, uh, particularly on the East Coast and over in the US. So we're actually heading over to the US in um, October to go to a couple of conferences and a few other business development activities. So if anyone has inter- any introductions or people we could meet, uh, we would be more than happy to have a chat.
2: And lastly, um, what do you do to get away from it all? Like how do you guys rest, relax? What's, what's your thing?
0: Yeah, I guess, uh, the first thing that comes to mind, if if you think VainTech and what we're doing is amazing, just wait till you meet my wife, uh, who's, uh, the most amazing person I know. Uh, she's that. a doctor on the front line, uh, doing really, really cool stuff. Uh, but, um, yeah, like for me, it's really family and, uh, I guess that's my, my wife Jess, uh, my little dog Riley, and my, my parents and my in laws. Really spending time with them and, and seeing the, the simple things in life that you enjoy with families, uh, you know, at, at its core, like what, what I value. Uh, and uh, yeah, just uh, love playing a bit of sport. Uh, Soccer is my thing. Uh, and uh, yeah, just enjoying the local
3: scene. I would say uh, f- f- friends, family, all of the above as well. But uh, just a specific example, I've got a little allotment at the community garden in West Leaderville and just something. There's something very zen about just sort of pulling weeds and like listening to a, uh, a good podcast like this like one. Like this one, <laughs> yeah, mm. exactly. Um, is just a really good way to not think about. Vein tech. They kind of want it an old saying is, you know, you're a founder when you start thinking about your startup on the toilet. (laughs) Um, And it is, it does kind of creep into every aspect of your life. And that's both a good thing, but it also makes it quite hard to get away from. So finding yourself not thinking about Mm. it um, and finding something like that, that can help you disconnect is something I really look for as well.
1: Awesome. Thank you both. We've just had a terrific chat. I've learned a lot as I do every time when I interview founders. And I think Chris and I have interviewed a few founders. um, But what you can see sort of emanating from the two of you is absolute vision and values alignment, and so we wish both of you, Nick and Nick and Catherine, uh, all the very best, and we cannot wait to follow the progress of VainTech. Thanks, both. Thank you, thank you. Thanks to our sponsors, the Startup West podcast is produced by Startup News and is made possible by the support from SpaceCubed, Curtin University, the City of Perth, RSM, and TechOn. And a shout out: the Curtin Ignition Scholarships are now open.
2: We recorded this podcast at Riff Podcast Studios in beautiful downtown Perth, Western Australia. Don't forget to subscribe to Startup West on your favorite podcast platform so our latest episodes appear in your feed. And if you like what you hear, please leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you.